Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast for June 7th, 2010. I am your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm John Zavarelli. And I'm the guy pressing the buttons. I'm Bob Severance. Today on our show, we are not going to spend any time talking about the Guatemala sinkhole. There'll be no talks of the teen werewolves. Sorry, Josh. And I will not be talking about the president not showing up at Arlington Cemetery on Memorial Day. But we do have a lot of sports we need to cover, so without any further ado, let's get to the headlines. This is This Week in Sports. This is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from each day of the past week, and our hosts give a short comment on each. Starting with Monday, 2010 NBA free agents Amari Stoudemire expects to join in Summit. Well, Amari needs to get used to the idea that he is going to be a second-tier guy in this offseason. I think uh, if he wants to go to the summit and talk about which uh, which superstar he wants to be a sidekick for, by all means. I think this is getting a little bit out of hand, all these players joining the summit. Moving along to Tuesday, 2010 NBA free agents again. LeBron James interviewed by Larry King. What do you think, John? This is pretty interesting. It was nice to uh, have LeBron give us the Cleveland fans some hope by saying they have an edge. I think he's taken a lot of heat because he's uh, given this interview during the NBA Finals, but unlike Tiger Woods' press conference, he's not doing it during a game day. Moving along to Wednesday, Mariners announced Ken Griffey Jr. is retiring. I think Griffey was a good enough athlete that he really could have been a pro, top-tier athlete, no matter which sport he would have chosen. I think we're all glad he chose baseball. In my opinion, the kid's the greatest play ever, and I'll try to prove it a little later, but he's, in my book, the best baseball player ever. Moving along to Thursday, Jim Joyce returns to work as MLB decides whether to review the blown call that cost Armando Galarraga of the Detroit Tigers a perfect game. I can't believe he missed that call, but he showed a lot of sportsmanship as well did the pitcher and admitting he was wrong and getting over it. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to see him back on the field with the same two teams. I think both these guys really deserve a commendation for how they handle themselves. This is a pretty unfortunate situation. And Friday, Baltimore Orioles fire Dave Trembley after a 15-39 start, Matt. It's really hard to expect a team like the Orioles to compete in a division this tough. I really think that Trembley never really stood a chance. Yeah, this is three games better than their worst start ever, which was... 12 and 42, I believe. So, I mean, if you're 15, 39, worse than the Royals, I think it's expected. Moving along to Saturday, Chicago Bulls make contract offer to Boston Celtics assistant Tom Thibodeau. And the speculation begins even more. They're saying he could be LeBron James' handpicked coach, or maybe he's just the architect of Boston's stifling defense. Either way, I think he deserves a shot. And finally on Sunday, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross thinks the team will play in Super Bowl XLV. Matt? Well, they've made some moves to try to be more competitive, but they did not do enough to keep up with what the Jets and the Patriots are doing. They might even make the playoffs. It's a tough division. Right now, they don't even have a top quarterback, so I don't see how they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Now we're going to talk about the news that can't be ignored. The last section was the things that you guys are sharing over the internet in your tweets and on your Facebook but we're going to talk about the things that you should have been talking about. Yeah, Strasburg's going to make his first start against the Pirates on June 8th. Uh, guy 7-2 and two in the minors with a 1.3 RA. That combined with the contract, this is bound to draw some attention. 
The NBA Finals is now tied one game to one. The Celtics stole home court from the Lakers. It's looking to be a pretty interesting series after Ray Allen with eight three-pointers in the finals last night and Rajon Rondo finally showing his face. So it's looking like it's going to be a good series. Chicago in the Stanley Cup playoffs has taken a 3-2 to two lead. Looks like uh, this is going to continue the trend of the NHL playoffs this year just being way more exciting and entertaining than the NBA playoffs have been. USC infractions report not coming out this week. Uh, this has been going on for about two years now, probably even more longer than that. So, I mean, I think we can wait another couple weeks. Drosselmeyer won the Belmont Stakes. Yawn. Cavaliers shakeup continues as Danny Ferry departs team. I actually don't know what to say about this. I don't know why he left, but uh, if, apparently it was mutual, and I think they're just trying to go in a different direction and trying anything to keep LeBron. Pac-10 is considering inviting pretty much half of the Big 12, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Colorado, Oklahoma State. I really wish all the speculation in the conference expansions would just stop and somebody do something already. And that was the news that cannot be ignored. Now moving along to our main points. This is a section where we discuss three major topics in sports this week and our hosts give their opinions. So starting off with main point number one, this will be Matt's main point. UConn recruiting violations versus the Kentucky Bledsoe scandal. Yeah, this week, two top college basketball programs really found themselves in some hot water. University of Kentucky, of course, with their prize freshman recruit from a year ago, Eric Bledsoe. Rumors swirling that uh, he was receiving some improper benefits from his high school coach, a gentleman by the name of Maurice Ford. They're speculating that he might have helped his mother to pay for an apartment that he was living in. They're also saying there might have been some shenanigans in the turnaround in grade point average that he had between his junior and senior seasons. I think this is an unfortunate situation for Kentucky because of the fact that the violations here were committed by somebody who is a really outside of their realm of influence. But if you're John Calipari, you have to know what's going on. I think there was some other coaches that quoted in this news story that they were aware of what was going on. If you're Calipari, you have to know what's going on and you have to be able to uh, take a step back and make a rational decision. The situation at UConn is a little bit different because there was eight violations recorded by the NCAA, and all of them were committed by staff members or assistant coaches, all basically revolving around improper contact with recruits, emails, phone calls, text messages. I think the thing that's really unfortunate here is that every one of the people involved in the UConn scandal are people within the payroll of the UConn athletic program, and they're going to be hit with maybe some lost scholarships, definitely some recruiting restrictions, whereas Kentucky may have to forfeit their entire 35-win season from a year ago, which will drop them from being the winningest program in NCAA history to being third behind Kansas and UNC. It's really kind of hard to see a team dropping that much of their legacy based on something that somebody outside of their program actually did. Why does it seem to be where everywhere that Coach Cal goes, there's something that is brought up? This is the second time a player's been accused of not being able to make the grade. Uh, they had a, the scandal with Derrick Rose where they were stripped of their Final Four a few years back. UMass, they got stripped of their Final Four. It seems like everywhere Calipari goes, there's some kind of controversy. Now, he knows how to recruit. I don't know if it's legit the way he's doing it. He's a great coach, and I like Calipari, but I think he's a snake. He pretty much, everywhere he goes, he's got some baggage following him and something comes up. Uh, I think he needs to be monitored. I think that, I know I understand that 
it's coming from outside sources, but he has to know about this stuff. So I think they need to to put some stipulations on him where monitor the players he's recruiting and see and look heavily onto them. As far as Coach Calhoun, he didn't seem like he was too worried about it. A couple years ago, they brought it up at a press conference after the Final Four. He said, yeah, we, uh, we may have made a few mistakes. Did you ever see the book? It's like 700 pages long. Calhoun needs to read the book and know what his player, what his coaches are doing and know what they're doing wrong. I think both these coaches need to take a page out of Coach K, Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, and Jim Beheim's book and see how to recruit and how to do things the right way. I think there's no uh, coincidence that a lot of these scandals are coming after the NBA introduced their one-and-done rule because a lot of coaches in high school are going through and doing some things that they really shouldn't be doing just to get uh, their star players eligible because they know that they won't get into the college game without some help. Although I really don't know that uh, there's any justification for the way things have been going down the last couple of years. All right, main point number two, robber of a perfect game. Why MLB needs to use instant replay more. John. Well, it's become a lot more heated in the last week or so, seeing as a pitcher lost his perfect game would have been the 21st in history and the third of the month. Now it comes down to the point where we need to focus on some sort of instant replay in baseball now is it more than what it is now i'm down with having it like football style there's arguments that it's gonna take the game longer to to play out if you do these reviews but i think everyone wants to see the right call on the field i mean that's why we have rules in sports that's why we we play the game we want everything to be played out and be good as far as all the calls being the right calls and if if the umpire misses a call i mean everyone's human and i don't think that's going to take out the human element because for the most part the umpires are still umping the game and making the calls and they are very good at what they do i couldn't do that but i think that there needs to be a backup plan where if a big call is missed then it can be reviewed and overturned yeah i don't think i'm going to mince any words right here when i say that the major league baseball organization has been suffering from an integrity hit over the last 10 years to which the proportions haven't even been seen yet. I think that major leagues have an opportunity with the add of additional instant replay to gain back some integrity that they've lost throughout the steroid scandals. I think that uh, the big concern has been that it'll slow the game down too much, but I don't see the addition of instant replays on close calls at first and third uh, taking any more time than what the managers and the players are currently taking up with their arguing with the umpires and refs. Uh, If the MLB is really concerned about the speed of the game, then take a look at what the SEC is doing with their tournament baseball games where they've added a pitch clock with they have 30-second maximum in between pitches. And that actually sped up the games in the tournament an average of 30 minutes compared to last year. So if they're looking at speeding up the game or not wanting to slow it down, I should say, then look into something else. Let's get the calls right. Let's keep the games moving. Let's use more replay. Let's add a pitch clock. As Matt said, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can manipulate the length of the game. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to sl- slow or speed up the the game and make everything so this replay thing won't extend the game too much longer. I mean, it's there's things a ways around it, so I don't think it's a big deal to add in the replay. It's not going to extend the game as long as people think. All right, main point number three. 
the NBA Free Agent Summit. Yeah, this is a topic that's been popping up in the headlines a lot over the past several weeks to the point where it's almost ridiculous. I think it's a juicy topic and everybody wants to talk about it because they want to speculate about everything that could be going on in the free agent market this year. But at the end of the day, this summit is going to be a pointless and futile uh, effort because when it comes down to it, these players don't have any ability to do anything that the salary cap won't allow. There's only two teams that really have enough money cleared up in cap space to sign two players. So maybe they could sit there and determine which two of them are going to New York and New Jersey. But at the same time, New York and New Jersey have done so much to clear out their roster to gain that cap space that I don't know that any of these guys want to go play for a skeleton crew and try to carry a team by themselves. I think we've seen over the past couple of years that uh, even LeBron James hasn't been able to do that in Cleveland. So what, what would be any different in Cleveland or in New York or New Jersey? I think there's some possibility that they could talk about what could happen with a sign-in trade. But at the end of the day, that's down to the general managers of the clubs, whether or not they want to do it or not. So they can have their meeting. They can meet in the back uh, room of a Applebee's or wherever they want to go, and they can talk about it. But at the end of the day, nothing's going to come out of it. This kind of reminds me of when I was like 10 years old and we were out on the picking teams for a pickup game. You got your two best players there, the team captains and divvying up the, the sidekicks. I mean, this isn't going to happen. I mean, they can talk about all they want, like Matt said, but it's they can't just decide what team they're going to play with the salary cap. Basically, Wade and LeBron are the the two headliners for the summer, so they can talk all they want. It's it's not really going to matter. And I I actually like the fact that they're talking about it because they want to try to make the league as competitive as possible, and that's that's better for the league. But they really have no power. They're just the players. They're not the owners. I don't see any problem with it. Uh, some people say this, they shouldn't have a summit or anything like that. I don't see any problem with it because don't the owners meet every year? That's somewhat of a summit. I mean, NBA is like a brotherhood. So these players are going to talk. They're going to be friends. It, it's a cool thing for them to sit aside and, and talk it over. But like I said, it doesn't really matter what they do or what they were talking about. It's a fantasy, basically. It's They're trying to make their own little fantasy team, and it's not really going to happen. But kudos to them for trying to make it happen. I know I've had some conversations with friends in the past about what I would do if I had started my own business and who I'd hire as my manager and who would be my bookkeeper and things like that. This, is, this isn't this is any different than that. It's just a couple of guys talking about what could possibly be. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just dreams. All right, now on to our closing arguments. This section is where our hosts present their closing arguments as in a court case. It can be about anything on their mind this week. There are no rebuttals or comments allowed, and you, the listener, will vote on who presented the best closing argument. I have to say last week, guys, uh, the winner, just by a one-vote margin, believe it or not, was Matt uh, for your Cowboy Joe West closing argument. So Matt's going to start off our winner from last week with his closing argument. Well, before I get into it, I want to share a little bit of fan feedback we got from Dave from North Georgetown. Uh, We're talking about the NBA one-and-done rule, and David has a couple ideas. First of all, just letting high school jump directly to the pros. Uh, But he had another idea on the other end of the spectrum, talking about requiring uh, college players to stay in through their junior years. Has some good points about how that would be beneficial to college and the pros. So check out the website for more information on what Dave had to say. But uh, I'm going to get started with what I have. Here's my plan for the NBA one-and-done rule. I think the one-and-done rule has really proven to be pretty bad for basketball and academics in general. 
We got high school players that are cheating their way into college. We got college kids who are completely skipping their second semester because they know that the grades aren't going to be released before their eligibility is determined for the postseason. Uh, the NBA has an infrastructure for minor league basketball that it doesn't utilize the way it should. We have this thing called the NBDL, which is there to develop young talent that we're not using to its full capacity. My solution for the one-and-done rule is if a player wants to come straight out of high school into the pros, they can be drafted. Team that drafts them designates them to their NBDL team for at least two seasons where they can only make the league minimum. Then after those two seasons are up, that player can be signed to a rookie contract and join the team that drafted him. Or if that team chooses to not sign them to a contract because they've had two years to watch them develop and they might not have liked what they've seen, they can re-enter the draft and have the opportunity to get picked up by a different team. The benefit that we get on the college basketball side of things is players are coming in and now they're going to be required to play two years of college basketball before they're allowed to go pro, which means from an academic standpoint that they have to at least get a passing grade for three college semesters before they're even given the opportunity to go pro. Another advantage that we have here is that it gets the NBDL a lot more exposure than what it's currently getting. I don't know what fan wouldn't want to see that high school or, or college star up close and personal in an intimate venue uh, watching them play in the NBDL, and then they can get a little bit more excited about them coming to their pro franchise uh, coming in the next seasons. All right, closing argument two. John, I'm going to let you introduce your argument, and then I'll start the timer. My argument is, if not for injuries, Ken Griffey Jr. would have been the greatest player of all time and possibly overtaken Barry Bonds' asterisk home run record um, by probably a few home runs. He's got 13 all-star appearances. That's number one for an outfielder. We'll go by the things that he has done. 13 all-star appearances, number one for an outfielder. One of two players in the six, 600 home run, 10 gold gloves club with Willie Mays. If you calculate all the games he missed through steroids and strike, it added up to 621 games that he missed. Um, there was a study that they took his at-bats per home run for his career and figured out if he had not missed these games, how many more home runs he would hit. I, I believe it figured to be about 130 home runs, which would have put him at 760. I believe that's a little bit off of Barry Bonds, but trust, rest assured, he probably would have added a couple home runs here or there, or he wouldn't have retired last week. Um, with that being said, he was with throughout his career, he was never once accused of doing any steroids. You never heard his name come up. Barry Bonds, the probably his biggest competition, if it hadn't been for the steroids, obviously Barry Bonds. We still don't know if he did it or not. I don't know if he gets 800 home runs, but he'd be he'd be pretty close for, to end his career. Um, a lot of time, this injury time wasn't when he was at the end of his career. It was when not when he was his prime, but it's coming off of his prime. So to be honest with you, with that, I honestly believe that he would be the greatest player of all time. I mean, the only person you could possibly outdo him in the future, as of right now, would be Albert Pujols. Um, I think that. Basically, just his the way he hit and the way he played defense, he could do it. 
to vote for your winning closing argument, you can send a direct tweet to our podcast at twitter.com slash sports on point. And as always, send your suggestions on how we can improve the show to feedback at sports Now, before we call this one a wrap, I want to give a take a moment just to give a shout out to the late, great John Wooden. Um, it's really uh, been a great life he's led and a great career that he had as a coach, one of the greatest of all time, if not the, the greatest across all sports. I like to uh, share a little quote that I, I saw from John Wooden. Actually, they posted a whole bunch of his quotes on ESPN.com. Uh, the one that got to me was, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. I, that really actually touched me, and I, I really like that quote. So we're going to leave the podcast with a few moments of silence in honor of John Wooden.